Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Film breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We're going to talk about the 15th day of training camp, which was pretty boring, other than one eventful thing that was quite unfortunate. Obviously, the Browns have the Giants coming in for two days of sessions. Kevin Stefanski illuminated that those two sessions are going to be two hours. There'll be uh, two sides will work red zone drills, also conduct some one-on-ones. So they'll get some matchups, corner receiver to get some different looks than they just had from practicing, you know, amongst themselves, which is a good thing to get some varying skill types there. We'll also obviously do some things like team periods, half line, red zone, two minute. They'll just get some different looks to compete. And I think it'll be a really good two hour session. I I think you should also note that the connection between the two, which we will have a behind enemy lines coming up later this week. There there's a ton of connections between the giants and the Browns and Odell and the Olivier Vernon trade and the Jabril Peppers and the draft pick that became Dexter Lawrence and Freddie Kitchens. And there's a ton of connections. These franchises on different sides of the NFL spectrum in terms of conferences, but they're, you know, as as we can tell, connected. And Joe Judge and Kevin Stefanski go way back. If you didn't know, there's a well-known story out there among NFL circles about how Stefanski beat out Joe Judge for the quarterback job in high school, and these two have known each other forever. Uh, they come from Philadelphia area. So, yeah, I mean, they, they've planned this practice. I, I hope that means both teams will keep it in line due to some of the messaging that comes across from both sides. There was uh, another big group of injured, uh, walking wounded, the person that we didn't want to see go back to it is Grant Delpit. He came up limping on a long running uh, pursuit of Davion Davis in a pass uh, scenario. I'm not sure if that was seven on seven or team. He left, uh, missed the entire practice again. Seems like the hamstring is back. I don't know what to say. I've been pretty adamant about Grant and hoping he would be ready for week one. Uh, as 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 far out though now as I've been thinking, can, can this guy be ready mid-season? And it's not just the hamstring, but I've been trying to preach people to be patient. Could he be ready for week one? It was trending that direction. Then the hamstring thing comes up. He comes back, and it's like, okay, maybe again. Then all of a sudden now it's it's a recurring issue, and he's just got to get his mind right. He's got to make sure he's in the right place mentally and understand it's a long season. Try to make his way back by midseason. That would be like almost like a trade deadline boost if they could get Grant healthy back around midseason. So all the best to him. Hopefully he comes out of it and, and is okay. Uh, we don't have any indications as far as like Denzel Ward practicing. We don't have any indications as far as Odell ramping it up. We'll just sort of see what comes out. We'll see what the Browns end up putting on the field. Davion Davis, his name continues to shoot up the depth chart. Got some first-team reps. I don't know if this is going to be an actual make-the-roster scenario for him. It seems far-fetched with all of the talent they had there. But he is playing really well. He's getting a chance to showcase for the rest of the NFL, which I think is important for him and important for his future, right? Um you know, notable plays as far as Jake Trotter was able to illuminate for us, and you could watch some of the actual plays happen on the uh, Cleveland Browns Daily Show that they posted during uh, during the session today. Uh, Baker with a pass to Kareem Hunt for a touchdown, seven on seven, which was again light work, no shoulder pads, no pants, shirts and shorts, all that stuff. Um, you know, I think there was a noted Felton drop in there as well on a on a chance to make a touchdown play as Case Keenum uh, ended up delivering that ball to him. 
And then DPJ in the end zone had another nice catch, a leaping catch for a touchdown. And Javante Moffat made a notable diving play that caught the eye of everybody there. Some some not totally full bleachers, but enough people that were uh, drawn to the eye of Cleveland players as Odell and Baker went over to thank people. I thought that was really cool. You should thank fans who were showing up on the 15th day of training camp and the last practice, open practice for fans. So really cool all around to see them appreciate the fans. We'll keep our fingers crossed on Grant Delpit, but for now we're going to get over to our guest, Jashale Kapadia. Shale writes for The Athletic, he writes for The Eagles specifically, but he spent time at Brown's training camp and got some really great insights for an article that he posted, 10 Insights on the Browns with Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry. So I want to talk with him about that. Let's get over to the interview now. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shale, we're excited to have you in. Thanks for taking time for us today. Absolutely. Good to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what I wanted to do when I read your article, it's fascinating stuff. I always like, you know, the Browns have finally figured this thing out to an extent so far. We don't want to jinx it here, sort of knock on wood. We feel like they figured it out from a cohesive standpoint. And and anytime we get a look behind the curtain, I encourage everybody to see it because for so long we have seen the curtain unveiled and it was not pretty so now that we can kind of get a look I, I like to enlighten folks to things that are posted about it because uh, you know we should we should appreciate this while we're here so your article in the athletic which was kevin stefanski's strengths andrew barry's vision and tim brown's takeaways which i'm going to link in the description of this podcast sort of talk me through what you're doing the nfl what are you doing this for every team trying to go to every camp and get insights on teams like this this 10 10 sort of points uh takeaway no, not, not every team. You know, I, I took a little training camp tour. I went from Baltimore to Buffalo to Cleveland to Indy. And so those are the teams I checked out. Now I'm based in Philadelphia, so I see the Eagles. Uh, they have some joint practices with the Patriots and the Jets. And so I'm trying to see as many teams as possible and talk to as many people as possible. And so uh, I also put out a big sort of preseason guide. It's like a 197-page guide. It's got uh, sections on each team, and that's available at theathletic.com slash NFL playbook. And so I did that about a month ago, and then as I was taking this trip, I thought, you know what, when I talk to some of these people, uh, I would like to ask them about some of the stuff my, my research uh, showed and see where I'm right, where I'm wrong, and then touch on, on some other topics. And so uh, luckily I was able to uh, get some time to talk to Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry and pepper them with some of these questions while I was in Cleveland for a couple of days. 
Yeah, it's a great article. We'll kind of go through some of these if, if that's fine with you. I want to talk through some of the things maybe you gathered and wrote about or things maybe you didn't get a chance to add that you wanted to add to each of these. So the first one talks about the defensive improvements. Talking to Andrew, talking to Kevin, were they as excited as we think they are about what they've done to rehaul this defense? Yeah, you know, I mostly was talking to Andrew Barry about that. And, and you know, I, I kind of made the assumption that when you look at the defense and how it played last year, uh, did you sort of just identify that it was bad injury luck, which it was. If you look at some of the advanced metrics, they had one of the, the worst injury lucks for any defense in the NFL and then just talent, you know? So it, it was like, you didn't need a massive overall. You just needed to identify some key spots where you could upgrade talent, upgrade some depth. And I think for the most part, uh, you know, he agreed with that. And we can see that with the moves they made in the offseason with Jadeveon Clowney, Malik Jackson, Troy Hill, uh, John Johnson, you know, and then drafting uh, Greg Newsom and Jeremiah Rosu Koromoa. So obviously the talent uh, is better this season, and I think they feel like that will allow them to do some, some different things, you know, schematically. I think it might be a little bit different than it was last year when they were pretty zone-heavy, uh, I think. Uh, you know, they might still lean that way, but I think they do have options maybe to play more die, maybe to play more man in some high leverage situations. And so uh, I think those are some of the things they're looking at. But uh, I do think they feel like with better injury lock and just upgrading some talent that they can make a big leap on that side of the ball. And, uh, you know, I, I would certainly agree with that. Absolutely. Some of their three deep, three under stuff when they tried to get creative and blitz last year was an absolute disaster. So anytime they can sprinkle in some different looks and actually trust the guys to do it this year would be would be great. The second point's about Baker. It's been the talking point all off season about whether they're they're going to commit to him long term. I don't know if you gathered any insights. It's really tight lipped over there about the outlook of Baker. They're saying all the positive things. But for Baker, as you illuminated here with his pressure rates through the first six weeks of the season and then how he handled pressure maybe a little better as the year wore on for him it's about consistency right just putting it together for 17 games yeah no I wish I had you know some kind of hot take I could give you on Baker Mayfield but I'm kind of in the just in the area of you know I don't know I want to see a little bit more you know certainly last year was a step in the right direction he looked at home in Kevin Stefanski's offense I did not ask them you know anything at all about the contract because I, I kind of knew that that was probably going to be uh, off limits and there's nothing they could say there that that would really be illuminating. And so you look at it and the question is, does he have another level to get to? You know, I think if he plays like he played last year, the infrastructure is so strong around him with the offensive line, with the weapons, with the play calling, with the scheme that I still think you're looking at like a top, uh, you know, top 10, top 12 offense. If he plays like he did last year, the question to me is, does he have another level he can get to in this scheme? You know, can he take sort of a, a big leap now that he's had another year with it, now that you get Odell Beckham Jr. back on the field where all of a sudden this morphs into a top four or five offense? I think that's uh, within the, the range of outcomes, within the range of possibilities here. Uh, as you mentioned, I think the one big thing is that uh, he was not great uh, when he was under pressure last year. Now their offensive line is fantastic, so I don't think he's going to be under pressure a lot. And with all the boot action and getting him outside the pocket, they certainly help with that. But I do think that's an area where if he can be a little bit more efficient when he is pressured, which we have seen from him in previous years, that maybe that can give the offense a little bit of a boost. Absolutely. I think the, the consistency with that stuff is going to define you know what, what he's thought of publicly and what they think behind closed doors. The third point, which is something I've read a lot about Kevin when he was hired, I, I wrote a four-part series about his offense and 
the Harrison Smith quote stood out to me back when I studied it because he Kevin has illuminated the fact that you know he stuck around Minnesota a long time, saw a lot of schemes, he fell in love with Kubiak's uh, Houston offense, and thought to himself, someday I want to run this form of offense. He got to run it with Gary in the house in 2019. It's like this marriage of run pass and how everybody is basically doing the same things. Uh, at the NFL level, just different variations of it, and that's why he loves Bill Callahan so much. So, I mean, I don't know if there's anything to add to that. It's such a great little section, but he's just trying to continually make people confused. And, and talk about the Malik uh, Malik Jackson uh, note that you left there. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was funny, but I was just asking him about this offensive background. Like you mentioned, Brad Childress, uh, Daryl Bevel, Gary Kubiak. And so there, there are these different coaches he's worked with, John DeFilippo, uh, who have sort of different offensive backgrounds. But clearly the Kubiak system w- was the one that he fell in love with. And he said he was studying that even before he got to work with Gary Kubiak. He was kind of admiring it from afar. And then he gets to work alongside Gary Kubiak and he even liked it uh, some more. And so, uh, yeah, it does go back to that marriage between the run and the pass. I mean, it feels like maybe a quarter of the league is running some variation of this offense uh, right now, which is pretty interesting. So it's kind of taken over. And, uh, and that's kind of what he fell in, in love with there is sort of keeping the defense off balance, have them not being able to have a tell about what you're going to do uh, with their keys before the snap those types of things. And so he mentioned the, the thing about Harrison Smith, where in 2019, Harrison Smith came up to him and, you know, just basically said, this, this stuff is really hard uh, after a practice. And he thought, you know, that that's what I want to hear out of defensive players. That means you're doing something right offensively. And so, you know, I said to him, hey, just yesterday I was at practice and Malik Jackson was frustrated by a run play. I, you know, I, I don't know what the exact scheme was, but it seemed like a little bit of a misdirection where they flipped the ball out to the outside, and Nick Chubb had a huge gain, and Malik Jackson was, like, frustrated after the play. I mean, he, he's pointing to himself. He's yelling, run at me, run at me, right after the play. And so I reminded uh, Stefanski of that, and he laughed and said, yep, that, that's exactly what we're going for. And then he kind of just – you know, muttered under his breath a little bit. I'm not running at your ass. You know, are you crazy? <laughs> so uh, we know offensive coaches kind of get a kick uh, about that type of thing. Those are the reactions you want to see from defensive players. So I thought that was a, kind of a funny little piece of color that he couldn't help himself with, with that comment just as we were talking. That's great stuff. That's great stuff. We talk, uh, we've done some things on uh, huddle verbiage, how plays are called, alignments and stuff at our site here, the OBR. And your fourth one obviously caught my eye because it talks about how coaches have these long play calls. We've seen the famous clip, you know, where where John Gruden is giving Chris Sims a play call and Chris just can't get it right because it's like a 14-word sentence. And you're elimin- you're trying to eliminate words and plays to help reduce the amount of thought. I mean, it's shaken into the high school level and it's worked its way up. And, you know, talk real quick about your note about how they're trying to tie. So instead of saying X dig, Y shake, whatever, they're trying to – to formalize these things and put them into compact little chewable pieces for the offense so that they don't have to spit out so much. Is that the right way of framing it? Right. Yeah. No, I was in, uh, you know, I was covering the Eagles when Chip Kelly came into the NFL and this was a big thing, you know, uh, short play calls, play fast, tempo, uh, all those things. And I know he had met with the Patriots like the previous year, it was a big story and they were incorporating some of that stuff. So I wanted to get, you know, Stefanski's philosophy on that because some coaches say, no, we want everyone to know what their job is with the play call. You know, that clears up uh, confusion. And he said, Baker Mayfield does a great job with that. He's able to memorize everything, 
spit it out. It hasn't been an issue. But then he said, you know, when we have foundational plays or when we have something we know we're going with in the game plan, like it's 100% that these plays are going to be called, that then they'll shorten it. So it's almost like a situation where a play call has to earn that short, that short play call, that short verbiage. And, and you know, the example he gave just as an example was, uh, let's say they know they're going to carry a certain play into a game rather than the, and they're going to practice it during the week. Rather than going with that long play call, they might just say, all right, let's call it old brown shoe. And all of a sudden now, whether you're checking at the line of scrimmage, audibling, uh, calling it in the huddle, now you can get that out quickly. And because the players have had the reps, they know exactly uh, what to do with that. And, you know, I went to Indy after uh, Cleveland and I asked Frank Reich about it, uh, a similar question, and he kind of said they are doing the same thing. So, you know, I wonder if this is just becoming sort of the standard uh, in the NFL now with how coaches are approaching it. Yeah, the less the less thinking, the less memory. And I know you have the radio, but, you know, you especially want to hone in on as many things as you can tie together like that. It helps your guys so much, so that's a great nugget. The fifth one talks about – Data. We know data. We know the Browns are heavy into this stuff. For years, we'd heard about the Ravens and John Harbaugh with the guy in the headset with an analytics-driven thought process. Hey, this is what you should do here. Here's what the numbers tell us. Talk talk about this section if you can about how they pre-meet and color code. It's fascinating. Yeah, no, I, I actually wrote that story on the Ravens, so I'm very interested. In, yeah, I'm very interested in this idea of using the data, using the analytical models to, to decide whether to go for it on fourth down, when to punt, when to go for two, when to kick field goals. And, uh, you know, Stefanski just said basically, which I think we know, you know, watching him and knowing how that uh, organization is made up, I was just really impressed with his game management last year uh, for a first-time coach, especially some of those guys really struggle, even long-time coaches really struggle. And I thought that was a strength of his. And so basically he just said he believes in the model. He believes in following the data. It doesn't mean he's going to do it every single time. Uh, you know, there, there are certain, there's certain information that coaches have, whether it's, hey, you know, our right guard's getting his butt kicked or, hey, our left guard is playing on a, uh, you know, on a beat-up ankle and he's not going to be able to block this play that we had in the game plan for a fourth and short. And so I'm not going to go that route. So they definitely have that information. They're not always just going to go by the model, but I do think he believes in going uh, with the numbers more often than not. And uh, I think we saw that last year. And I think we'll continue to see that here going forward. Your six one's fascinating too, because you can get into all of these subgroups. This is what makes Twitter interesting. You can get into these subgroups of people. You follow the right folks you can see some really interesting models. And this is something I've definitely heard of. I've talked to folks at PFF, uh, some relationships I have there, about their understanding that offensive consistency is more, uh, I shouldn't put it that way, offensive success is more consistent year to year than defense. Defense is a little more random-driven turnovers, some of those things that you can't always control. So investing in your offense is something that, that people have talked about because you can be consistent, the outcomes can be consistent, the data trends can tell you things that you can use. I don't know if this happened for Andrew Barry. Like, I don't know if this is his philosophy in terms of, you know, a lot of guys on the Browns were set to be either be paid or were being paid when he arrived. So they're spending a lot of money on offense. They did invest defense, but their offense is obviously, if you look at their salary cap sheet, it is the majority of their spending. And I found the quote, from Barry to be like, oh, they're very aware of it, which, you know, these guys, we know a fraction of what they know publicly. But that quote is very enlightening, right, for him to outwardly say that we recognize offense stability over defense. 
Right. Yeah. I just asked him that one straight up. You know, do you agree with, with those analytical conclusions that offensive efficiency, offensive success is more sticky year over year, whereas defense is more volatile? And he said, yes, you know, we've the data we have, the research we've done shows that to be uh, true over time, but he certainly didn't want to go overboard. He said exactly uh, what you said there, which was that, you know, the offense was all under contract this offseason like you didn't have to do much other than uh you know you know bring Rashard Higgins back I think was really the only move they had to to make but that that was kind of set so it's not like he was facing a decision this offseason and he chose to spend on uh on defense or he chose to keep the offense intact I mean it was pretty clear what they were going to do but I think it's something to keep an eye on uh with them going forward and if that's how they choose to to build the team and certainly I you know I think if you have the continuity with the play caller and with the quarterback and, and we'll see what happens with Baker Mayfield in the years ahead but if you have that continuity uh you know it doesn't take like deep analytical research to look at it right we see Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid I mean we can we can outline uh different teams over the last decade last 20 years over the NFL where uh, we like to analyze a lot a lot of times if you have the right play caller head coach and quarterback you're going to be in the mix uh mix to be a very competitive team these Andrew Barry quotes you got from the last half of this are really great. I mean, Andrew sometimes will open up, sometimes he'll be very hush-hush, but I think he gave you some great stuff here. Um, and you talked about how, yeah, they're especially driven by data. Paul D. Podesta's appearance in the organization, his outward extension of his contract, the way they focus on him and their in-house building the Browns. Like, they're, they're welcoming this. They had been on the fringe. They'd hired football guys and data, but now they're all in on the data. And, you know, they still got some football guy to them. And that's what we're kind of talking about here, which is holding on to some old school football beliefs like paying a running back a second contract or going up, being aggressive and getting a Jeremiah Wusukormo, a linebacker type, when everything says they shouldn't do those two things, right? Because if you're hard data, you're not doing those two things. But they try to find that mix, right? That's what they're that's what they're truly seeking. Yeah, I mean, Barry, it's interesting with Andrew Barry. I think sometimes he gets pegged as like a data analytics guy, but like he, he has a long scouting uh, background. So I think that's really what sort of, you know, to Browns fans should be appealing about him, I think, as a GM, is that he's able to blend the two things. And, and with a lot of this, it was like I could tell when I asked the question, you know, he doesn't need a second to think about it. Like these are all things that he's thought so long about, uh, about what he wants to do, about how he wants to run an organization. And, yeah, I thought his answer, especially for uh, trading up for Ogusu Koromoa, was pretty enlightening, where he basically said it's not you either draft for volume or you kind of are reckless and trade up all the time. He's like, there is a balance there, and so you look for it. And, you know, I had other GMs tell me this uh, on the trip, too, where if you have a guy rated really highly on your board and you've looked at – the data and the scouting and the makeup and like everything, you know, everything that goes into an evaluation of a prospect and you have him rated highly and all of a sudden he's dropping, uh, that may be a time to go ahead and trust your process and go ahead and be aggressive. And so he said, it's not one size fits all. Um, you know, if that's the case and the guy can really help you, you think he's got sort of a unique skill set. It doesn't take a crazy amount to trade up. I believe they, they traded two picks, but they got two picks back, right, in that trade. So, like, in terms of volume, it's not even like they were giving up a pick uh, in that one. They were just moving down in the draft. And so, you know, he had thought about that and the different things that go into it and was explaining that's why it is okay to kind of go up there. So it seems to me like he's got a pretty good balance of those things. The the eighth and ninth points here kind of tie together, which is 
which is Andrew giving him some thought on confirmation bias and how you fight those things. And really, when when you talk about how you fight, you know, your beliefs becoming either slanted or whatever, uh, it's about collaboration. For so long, and especially recent history, we've seen with Hugh Jackson and Sashi Brown, the divide that was there. I don't think Freddie Kitchens fully embraced the numbers side of things like we would have hoped. I know you didn't get an extended time with the team, but I think you got a nice window into, A, how they're communicating publicly, uh, how they communicate together on the field, some of those things. So, you know, you've covered the Eagles. You've seen good football throughout your career covering the sport. Like, do you get a really good vibe now being up close and personal to it that there is this nature of collaboration? There is this, I don't need the credit for everything. It can go to whoever. We're all in this together attitude, no buy. I think that it, from the outside, that's what it feels like. That's what a lot of the fan base has come to understand and, and the vibe we get from a lot of these quotes or a lot of these decisions and the little glimpses we get behind the scenes with, with building the Browns and things like that. It just seems to be that sort of collaboration atmosphere. Did you get that vibe too? Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And, it, you know, it's hard to read too much. I, again, I was there for a couple of days. Uh, I'm not covering the team on a daily basis. And things in the NFL can change so quickly where one year you feel like you're in great shape and the next year – it's a disaster, but I do think uh, with sort of Barry's leadership style that they are in really good shape. You know, I think he sort of knows that you want to foster a culture where people are comfortable sort of questioning you or disagreeing with you, that, that you want to foster a culture where everyone's pulling in the right direction and in the same direction and you don't have factions kind of battling against one another. I mean, other people I've talked to who have worked with, with Andrew Barry have, you know, that's really where I've gotten a lot of the information that like, you know, people really like this guy as a leader. And oftentimes we look at GMs and we say, all right, what's their draft record? You know, what are their personnel moves? And like, there's a randomness to that. You know, you're going to hit on some, you're going to miss on some. To me, the biggest job of the GM is to build that culture where you say, I'm going to hire the right people. I'm going to put them in positions to do their jobs. I'm going to give them the resources to do their jobs. I'm going to make sure they know their input is val uh, valued. And then I'm going to put everything together. We're going to have uh, you know, discussions. And then we're going to make decisions and have a good process. We'll hit on some. We'll miss on some. But I think if you do that over the long haul, your organization is going to be in good shape. And uh, you know, I think if you're a Browns fan, that's what you have to really be, uh, be excited about with kind of the current infrastructure they have in place. I couldn't agree more. Your 10th point is about 11 personnel. I would encourage everybody to go read it. I continue to track 11 personnel. Some of the data surrounding that stuff is fascinating. So go listen. The, the moral of the whole interview here is to send you there to read this article so you can get your own insights and takeaways from it. And I wanted to expand on it. And obviously you hit it out of the park. We, we as listeners, myself included as a listener here uh, at the OBR Film Breakdown, really appreciate your insights and taking time for us. Thank you. Good. Glad to talk to you. Uh, thanks for having me. For today's episode, one small programming reminder. I will be out of town over the course of the next few days. Your next fresh actual recorded on that day podcast will be Sunday after the Browns play the Giants. I have a couple podcasts, one with Jordan Zerm coming up, one with Dan Schneier, who is going to be covering it from the Giants side. When we do uh, know your foe section that will be on Saturday, we'll have Jordan on tomorrow. And uh, yeah, those are two good podcasts, two interesting podcasts. So thank you again to Shale for joining us. Check out his article in the uh, the description of this podcast. You'll find a direct link to it. It is an athletic article, so you do have to have a subscription to actually check that out. But it's worth your time. A lot of great points. Another couple pieces of reminders for you. There are 
going to be Tuesday Chalk Talk sessions now. Those will be deleted the next day by around lunchtime. So if you want to watch them, try to watch them live or that night after we show them or the next morning. We cannot have those lingering for too long with Sensitive All-22 sharing a film this year. Again, giving you air quotes on that, so we have to take those down at some point. Also, the OBR Weekly will be on tonight with Barry, Fred, possibly Lane. We'll see if that can come together. But that will be on your Thursday nights, and that will be on tonight on the OBR Twitch. Make sure you're following it and subscribing to it and all that fun stuff. Keep sharing the word about this podcast. Really appreciate your guys' insights on how it's going. Feedback has been fun. We'll keep trying to do this as best we possibly can, tweaking it, adjusting it. Thanks for joining us. Have a great Thursday, and go Browns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.